0: This is the First Emanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org.
1: So, good to have you here. Book of Revelation always seems to uh, bring out the crowds. Uh, So actually, we're not going to do the Book of Revelation. They just said that to get you here. (laughs) So yes, we are going to, but we're going to pray first. Holy Spirit, we thank you uh, for your word. It is your power unto salvation for all who believe, and we thank you for giving us believing hearts. We just pray now that as you cause your word to be written, that you would allow our hearts to be open to it so that we uh, would be those who not only hear it, but those who apply it and live it to our daily lives. Amen. Okay, here's how we're going to start. What are your thoughts and what are your questions? Or maybe you want to say... You know, here's what drove me to come to this particular study, but not everybody at once. All
0: right, Bob. Uh, uh, Book of Revelations. I look at it as something that I always thought was future, but then reading through it, I almost discerned that it was actually taken at that time, and it's been throughout history, but yet there's still.
1: yeah, you know, the book of Revelation, so Bob's comment is, it's not just about a futuristic, it's really about what was transpiring in the early Christian church, and that's true. We're going to find out that the book of Revelation tells the story of not only what's going on in heaven, but what goes on on earth. So it's, it's kind of the story from here and the story down here. What else? I thought I saw another hand. Okay. Well, this is more
0: about heaven. Yeah. So, a couple questions. Will husband and wife still know each other and be together? And will there be chocolate? Will we be able to be
1: okay. There's two questions. We'll take the most important one first. Will there be chocolate in heaven? And uh, yes, it'll be just one... It'll be one um, stall away from all the Italian food. (laughs) I'll be kind of in between those. But the other question is, um, like for husbands and wives or for families, will we have that same familial relationship in heaven? And uh, Jesus addressed that when he said, you know, in heaven, they neither uh, marry or are given in marriage. And, And the reason he said that, remember the Pharisees were trying to kind of catch Jesus? And so they said, hey, Jesus, we've got this hypothetical for you. A woman is married, and her husband dies, so she marries the brother, which was the tradition then, and he dies. And then she marries the next brother, and he dies. And she marries seven brothers, and they all die and go to heaven. My first thought is the district attorney should have been on this when the third one died. Um, so, but the question was, it, so when they get to heaven, which one's going to be the husband? And that's when Jesus said, no, nah, you got it wrong. The relationships that we find in heaven are, are different. So, uh, you know, do we recognize each other in heaven? Um, I think maybe, maybe we can play off of uh, the account of the transfiguration. Remember Jesus took Peter and James and John up on the mountain and he was transfigured. There were two people that joined him there. Go ahead. It's all yours. Um, there were two people that joined Jesus and Peter, James, and John, anybody remember who they were? Moses and Elijah. Moses and, Elijah. And, and this is what, what the gospel writer says. It was Moses and Elijah. And I'm guessing that they did not have name tags that said, Hello, my name is Elijah. Um, but there is this recognition. So our, our relationships in heaven will be, will know each other, but our relationships are going to be different. Way in the back. Is that Steve back there? Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, glorified bodies. Yes. But, well, I, rec- I shouldn't say recognize. What form will my dad be in? Or my grandfather? Am I going to yeah. be like 50 years old? Or...
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So the question is this in, in 1 Corinthians, it, you know, it says. Uh, There is a natural body and there's a glorified body, right? The mortal puts on immortality. So um, the first thing, let me go this way, is when we say in our creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, these bodies that we have will go to heaven, but they will be glorified or they will be perfect bodies. Okay, so I won't have this click in my knee anymore. (laughs) I'm wondering if I'll have hair again. I don't know. But but Steve's question is, so um, how old are we going to be? Or what will our bodies be like? So my grandpa died at age 68. My dad's going to be 96 in about eight weeks. So when you get to heaven, will grandpa say to my dad, hey, old timer? Or will my dad say to grandpa, hey, young codger? I'm going to be 65. Grandpa died at 68. Will, will he and I say to my dad, ah, you got nothing in common with us? It's a great question, isn't it? So we're, this is one of those things that's like, man, we're going to have to wait on that one, right? And there's a lot of people who write doctoral dissertations on things like this. Um, and it's like, well, Jesus was 33 when he died. Maybe we'll all be 33. Or And, and, and we can go back to the garden, you know. My confirmation kids will say, well, how old was Adam on the day God created him? And I said, that's an easy one. He was one day old. <laughs> <laughs> what they're trying to say, what was his body? Was it like an 18-year-old, a 33-year-old? And, and, and we don't know. So I don't know. I was very happy to not help you, Steve, on your question. It's okay. <laughs> Anyone else? Ted. 666 six, six, tattoo. is that... Representative something, or would that be a requirement of the bad guy? Yeah, 666 uh, comes out of the Greek, and in Greek they didn't have numbers, they had letters. There are some people who translate scriptures who think it's 616, and that's the mark of the beast, which has been attributed to a lot of people. I remember uh, during the election in 1980 when Ronald Reagan was running, I read an article that Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist, because Ronald has how many letters in his name?
0: Six.
1: How many in Wilson? Six. Reagan? Six. He's six, six six six. So that he was going to bring nuclear holocaust um, to the world. And, and uh, so we're going to when we get to six six six, we're going to talk a little bit about what what does this mark of the beast actually mean? And is it a particular person? Is it an entity? Is it an office? So that's going to be kind of a Along with the age of people, what about also um, all the aborted or miscarried babies and those that yeah. were never given a name even? Yeah, yeah. So what about aborted babies, miscarried babies? And I like to think we lost a baby. I like to think I get a chance to meet him when we get into, when we get into heaven. That's a lie, right? And what about their name? A lot of babies never had a name. We had one already, so... I don't care what they call him in heaven. I'll call him Timothy. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah. So I don't. That, see, those are great questions, aren't they? I'm kind of. So you're making me excited about getting to heaven. But. And then. But I prepared for so much for today. I'm going to ask Jesus to wait.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I have three vacation days starting tonight. So. <laughs> Monday would be a really good time. <laughs> so. I'm here
1: because I don't feel like I've ever really gotten. Privilege. Yeah. So. Yeah I, 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 this is an opportunity to: dig in. to find a Yeah, so Lois's comment is, uh, it, it, this is a great opportunity to dig in, right? And you know we can, we can go through revelation, and when we're all done, we could go through it all over again and, and even glean more. and then we could go all over again and we could glean some more. It's kind of like when you preach and you have a text, and if you've been preaching for 40 years, you look at that text. And, and all of a sudden you see it in a different way. Well, you might have preached on it seven times earlier or 17 times, and now all of a sudden you see it in a whole new light. And maybe it's because of what's going on in life or some of the counseling you've been doing or some of the Bible study that's been happening. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun book. John. Yeah, uh, I'm with her. <laughs> in uh, Christendom it seems like the book of Revelations has the
0: uh, well, I don't know if you call it the stigma but the reputation of being mysterious yes, and yeah. so uh, we're anxious to hear uh, in the light of one of the um, biblical uh, considerations that all scripture is Christocentric, how Christ shines through in this book uh, as well as uh, allaying some of the other mysteries that uh, have been described to the book of Revelation, particularly by the various interpretations of different theological uh, minds.
1: Yeah, so well, let me let me do two things here. So the last two people we heard from are very distinguished parochial school teachers who've studied the scriptures, and they're even saying, this is a book that you really do have to continue to dig in, and I agree. Um, I was, I was privileged uh, in the seminary to be able to study under Louis Brighton, who was the foremost theologian on the book of Revelation. And I still have my class notes. My wife wants to know why I keep these things. This is one of the reasons. Before he died, Louis put his class notes into book form. And that's it. <laughs> so it, it's a wonderful piece. And that'll be a, a pretty big uh, part of our are uh, gleaning in the book of Revelation. So one of the things I think, I think that we've seen in, probably in the 70s and the 80s, there were so many people that tried to use the book of Revelation as a treasure map. That it was going to, if you could break the code, you could find out who's the Antichrist. When is Jesus actually going to come back? You know, over the years, there have been uh, folks who Uh, Tried to predict the return of Christ. Uh, There was a guy named William Miller, I think it was 1836. He told his congregation um, that they didn't have to plant any crops because Jesus was coming back in November or October. And in case you didn't know it, he did not come back in October of 1836. And then he said, Oh, he got his his math wrong. It's 1837, so they didn't plant again. And uh, He didn't come back in 1837, Uh, so William Miller was ridden out, (laughs) pretty much tarred and feathered and taken out. But all these people, do you remember back in 1999, there was a gentleman that said, he even gave a date, Uh, I don't remember what the date was, well how many of you you remember the Mayan calendar of 2012, it's the world is coming to an end. And it's hilarious because I saw a cartoon and it was like the Mayan calendar. And then on the very bottom in small print it said, Continued on next page. (laughs) So we dare not use the book of Revelation as some kind kind of, of, of treasure map or some kind of special key that opens a special door. It was never designed in order to be that.
0: Bob. There's one more I think we need to consider, too. With the future events written in this, we've got John, who's, you know, a man of early, I mean, probably 60 AD, maybe. But he's seeing future events that are, like, in our time, he's trying to discover, describe fiery chariots, which could be God knows what. So he's trying to do it the best his ability. But
1: yeah. You know, I one feel. of the things we want to talk about, too, is... The Bible is always taken literally with the understanding that there's figurative language. So Jesus says to the disciples, watch out for Herod, that guy's a fox. Did Jesus mean, A, he's an animal with red fur and a bushy tail? B, he was a strikingly handsome man. Or C, he was very sly and conniving. So we're going to say C, that he was sly and conniving. That is the literal translation. That is the literal translation. Because it was, it's, a, um, it's a figure of speech. And we understand figures of speech. So we would literally take Jesus to mean... Careful because Herod is a very tricky person. We're going to get into the book of Revelation, and, and as you know, there's all kinds of figurative language, there's all kinds of uh, numerology that goes on. Here's the challenge that a lot of people have they'll take some of it, like the numerology, especially the number thousand. And this is where millennials pre and post come in. They'll, they'll take this number 1,000 and they'll take it literally in the sense that it's exactly a thousand years and something's gonna happen. And if they do that, I always ask them, shouldn't there be a beast with 10 heads then? Well that's figurative. So how does this one become figurative? And I want to choose this one to be chronologically literal. So there's a real challenge when you pick and choose what is a figure of speech and what isn't. Does that make sense? So we're going to try not to do that. Because I can make the book of Revelation say just about anything I want if I contort the figurative language. And there's a lot of people who've done that over the years. World War II, Adolf Hitler was <coughs> the Antichrist. Uh, again, Ronald Reagan, the Antichrist. So I... We'll talk more about Antichrist when we get to that chapter.
0: The rapture.
1: The rapture. Do we ever
0: discuss the rapture in the
1: Lutheran Church? <clears throat> yes, we do. We do. Yep. I've never
0: heard about it. in
1: Because we don't believe in it, but we do discuss it. We do
0: not believe. Yeah,
1: in it. we're not post or pre. We are a millennial. We're going to talk about that one. So there's pre-millennial. So even people who believe in the rapture disagree on when the rapture happens. So when you get to Tim LaHaye's books, right? So when you get on an airplane, you're supposed to pray that your pilot's not a Christian, because if it's the rapture, the plane's going down, right? (laughs) So, um, yeah, and some of the challenge that we have with pre and post is, again, they're taking the thousand years, and they're making it chronologically literal. And we're going to find out that the number 1,000 is a figurative word that means something important. Well, let me just hit you with it right now. How's that? So some say there's this pre-millennial and some say there's post-millennial. So some say there's gonna be a rapture, right? And then then there's this rule on the earth, others for a thousand years and then comes the end. Others will say, well, there's a thousand years rule and then there's the rapture. The number 1,000 in the Greek means, well, okay, when you were a kid and you had a bag full of jelly beans and there were so many in there, what did you say as a kid? Your grandma would say, how many jelly beans do you have? And you say, I have a thousand. thousand. I have a, a, gazillion. a gazillion. I have a bazillion. And, and it was this number that what you were saying is, I can't even count this. The number 1,000 in the scriptures really talks about a totality. So how many people are going to be in heaven? If you're a Jehovah Witness, you know the answer because it says in the book of Revelation, there's 144,000. There's two million Missouri Synod Lutherans.
0: It's not a good sign.:
1: There's two million today. How about all the millions that have come before?: Come before, right? Are, are Christians on the face of the Earth, right? How many So here's the thing. How many tribes were there in Israel? How many disciples? 12. What's 12 times 12? But if you're going to say, oh, it's countless, you're going to multiply that by a thousand. It's the total number of believers in the Old Testament and the New Testament days, which we live in right now. So we dare not take that number as chronological or numerically literal. It represents something. Dave? I've always been fascinated by the
0: idea of today of with me paradise
1: versus the new heaven and the new earth and what's the difference? Yeah, yeah. so here, if, and, and uh, I was privileged to teach elements of loose, uh, biblical theology at Concordia. I did that for a year and then they had me teach something else. <laughs> Maybe they talked to some of the kids I had in class and decided I messed them up. Um, so in some parts of scripture it looks like there's a new heaven and a new earth, because the old heaven and the old earth are gone. And then in some parts it sounds like we're going to have the extreme heaven and earth makeover. Is it this stuff but it's, it gets rehabbed? You know what the Lutheran stance is? Yes, it's one of those. Or a variation thereof. It's one of those. Either it's brand new heaven and earth or it's a rehabbed heaven and earth. Either way, it's new. Right, it's new. How many of you did remodeling in your homes? Anybody do that? Yeah, yeah. I was I was over at Dave's. He's got a beautiful home, and I said, I, "No, I." Didn't. We had our remodeler guy come over, and and
0: never mind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just did a lot of nodding.
0: Four, four weeks time, right?
1: yeah. <laughs> Other questions. These are good. All right, you ready to dig in a little bit? We're we're gonna do some uh, some introductions. So, oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. So we'll give everybody one of these, and we'll give everybody one of these. anybody want to be on? anybody want to be a classroom aide? you get extra credit for this, Trace, huh? So, I'm hoping we. I haven't gotten to a point where. If it is a podcast, everybody's shut off already, so. You know, it is, while we're doing that, it, it is an interesting book in, in that um, even Martin Luther kind of scratched his head um, over this particular book. Uh, he's, he struggled with its relevance for, for the Christian, um, he struggled in, in wondering if, if there was a, uh, an explicit enough mention of, of Christ. Um, so as we go through, I'll, I can give you some little clips on what Luther had to say. All right, I'm going to wait for a moment till we all get one of these. All right. Everybody got two handouts. Nope. No, which one do you need? The the staple one or the unstapled? Unstapled. One yeah. yeah. more question. One more question. Is,
0: okay. This is something I've heard in right, life, but I don't know if it's true or better than that. Yeah. But the devil wants to mimic God. Is it God's number seven, seven, seven?
1: Yeah. So the question is: the devil tries to mimic God. And, and God oftentimes is represented with 777. Seven, seven. Right. seven is the number of perfection. Three of them would be the Trinity. And the devil tries to mimic God, but it comes up a little short. So 666 six, six would be a little short of 777, seven, seven, right? right? Yeah, so not seven and seven. So it's the seven. That's a whole different thing. Is
0: the
1: 777 seven, seven actually the book? Uh, we're going to find out. All right, so... Uh, now that I've given you this, um, the stapled one is, is kind of interesting. Here's a challenge that a lot of people have. The book of Revelation, you cannot read at chapter 1 and think you go to 22 and it's a linear story. We do that with novels. We do that with the Gospels, Right. So Luke starts our gospel off and we got like Jesus being born and and then he, he, his mom and dad lose him, right? Wouldn't that be a good one? You lost the son of God. <laughs> what conversation do you have with the heavenly father on that? You know, How's my boy doing? Oh. We'll get back to <laughs> um, And then we have Jesus with miracles and Jesus is betrayed and he's and he's beat and he's crucified and he raises, rises from the dead and he ascends into heaven. That's how we read the Gospels. We, we don't read the book of Revelation in, in linear form. We read it in what's called cyclical form. So let's do this. I could write... Um, let's see. Did you watch the Brewer game last night? I got snippets of it because I had someone telling me how much they're going to tear out of the kitchen. But I did get to watch a little of time. So I could, I could do a story. Uh, I could write an, uh, an article about the Brewer game, right? And I could say Brewer's pitching was really good, and, but nobody was hitting in innings one, two, and three. And we could talk about middle relievers. And then we could say, hey, finally, the bats got going. And seventh inning was good. And eighth and ninth inning, we closed out the game. We won three to two. That's linear. I could do a cyclical article. And I could say... Let me tell you about the pitching, and I could tell you about the pitching in in innings one, two, three, all the way to nine. And I could tell you about the hitting in innings one, two, three, all the way to nine. Then I could tell you about the coaching strategy in innings one through nine. If I tried to read that article linearly, it would sound like there were three games. If we tried to read the book of Revelation, in a linear fashion, the world comes to an end a few times. Which is where people get this concept of raptures and so forth. But we're gonna gonna take a look at the struggle of the world in these New Testament times from some different angles is what's gonna happen. So if you take a look at this stapled page, it says introduction. The apocalypse discloses, that's the actual name of the book of Revelation. It's apocalypse. It discloses the heavenly life of our Lord as the Gospels picture his earthly life. I love that description. The Gospels tell me what the earthly ministry was like. The Revelation tells me about his heavenly ministry. So as the Gospels tell us of the humiliation of our Lord, humiliation means that he took on human flesh, did not fully use all of his abilities and powers the apocalypse tells us of the glorification or we might use the word exaltation of the lamb as he now rules the whole universe until the victory in heaven. So the opening chapters we find the prophet is commissioned to write so John's going to be told hey we got some stuff for you to write down here and then there's the preparation for receiving the prophetic message and that's going to be some, some letters, some notes to the seven churches of Asia Minor. We're going to hit that probably next week. And then there's the inaugural vision of heaven. So chapter 4 is the vision of the throne of God and the heavenly court. Chapter 5, we're going to hear about the sealed scroll and the lamb worthy to open it. So chapters 4 and 5 are the inaugural vision which introduces the entire following prophetic message. This prophecy concerns the things that are to come to pass before the end. These things are viewed from different vantage points and through several cycles and with different emphasis. But is always the same time period that's being described. Okay? That's extremely important when you're trying to understand the book of Revelation. So I can tell you about the Brewer's game from the view of pitching, hitting, coaching, fielding, right? All right, the second part, the prophecy. It is to be understood that each cycle covers the same ground. That is, they repeat each other. This is also true of the two great sweeping views. All right, who's confused by now? That's okay. We'll get it. Each cycle and each sweeping view, so there's like two overviews that we'll we'll look at, cover things from the time of Christ's ascension until the end. All right, I'm going to stop there just for a second. This whole book talks about, it it picks up after Jesus ascends into heaven, and it carries us until we get to heaven. That's the thousand years. The word 1,000 means a long time, a complete long time, right? Just the right time. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 talk to us about when Jesus came to earth. At just the right time, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. We could say, Revelation tells us, that at just the right time, God sent his son again. This time in glory. All right. Um, Next sentence says, when one cycle or sweeping view is complete, we begin the next cycle or sweeping view at the same starting place. Always ending at the same point of time, the end. I just want to emphasize that. All right. So it says, things that are to come to pass in the form of tribulations among mankind. So here's the first cycle, and we're we're talking chapters 6 and into into 8. So there's the opening of the first four seals, we have the four horsemen, Um, the opening of the fifth seal, which talks about the suffering of the saints, the believers, the sixth seal, When it's opened, it talks about the end and the terror that's described. And then we go from opening seals to sealing the 144,000. That's Revelation 7. That's that beautiful picture. And in the victorious heavenly multitude, who are these that are dressed in white? These are the ones who've come through the tribulation. They've washed their robes in the blood of the lamb, right? This is what we're going to hear. Uh, And then uh, chapter 8, the opening of the seventh seal, that introduces the second cycle. Are you still with me? A little bit? It's going to be so easy.
0: Uh,
1: uh, So, the things, B, the things that are to come to pass in form of tribulations and their association with evil. So we already looked at one cycle of the New Testament day. Now we're looking at the second. The first four trumpet blasts, the tribulations in nature. The fifth trumpet blast, evil forces from the abyss. That's the spooky, scary stuff. Chapter 9. The sixth trumpet blast, destruction sweeps over mankind. But the gospel is still proclaimed, and believers still live out the gospel. And then the seventh trumpet blast is the end, and then there's this rejoicing among those who are saved. All right, remember I said there's like this grand overview, two of them? All right, when you hit. Uh, chapter 12 to 14, it's the first overarching, grand sweeping view. The sign of the woman with child and the pursuing dragon. There's the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth and the conquering lamb and the 144,000 on Mount Zion. Then there's the defeat of the dragon and his beasts, which is prophesied. And then there's the vision of the harvest at the end. And then we get another cycle the third cycle, things that are to come to pass in form of terror and evil between the beast and the church, right? So when we get to chapter 15, it's preparation for the last plagues. And then chapter 16, the first half is the first six bowls of God's wrath. The seventh bowl is poured out in the end of chapter 16 and uh, evil is finally destroyed. Whew. And then we still got five more chapters after that, man. Now it says, all things are ready for the end. Everything's prepared for the coming of the victorious son of God to claim victory, to carry out judgment, to claim his saints for heaven. The judgment and overthrow of the forces of the dragon are chapters 17 and 18. So we have the judgment of the harlot, the fall of Babylon, the rejoicing of the saints. Then there's this victory celebration, which is all of chapter 19. There's the song of victory in heaven, which we sing in church. The marriage feast of the lamb. Jesus often talked about the heavenly banquet, right? And the vision of the uh, crowned victor going forth to receive the victory. (laughs) Then we get another second grand overarching view of all things, The millennium, this is where millennialists get caught up. And then the overthrow of Satan, that's chapter 20. And then uh, the rest of 20 and 21 and 22 is the new world. So it's the vision of the resurrection, the last judgment, the vision of a new heaven, a new earth. And the epilogue is the promise of Christ coming. Come Lord Jesus, come quickly. You all going to come back next week? (laughs) the other uh, page that I gave you uh, helps you a little bit with symbolism and their meanings I don't know if we have to go through everything but there's, there's three areas there's numbers and colors and objects so for instance um Three and a half is half a 7. That makes it a, a, a limited time period. So we'll hear about that with tribulations and so forth. 4 means the created world. Why does 4 mean the created world? How many corners of the earth does Scripture always talk about? Four corners. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Um, 6 means imperfection, wanting to be like 7. So, Bob, this is something that you brought up. Um, go down to colors. Black, famine, starvation. Pale gray is death. I've looked like that a couple times. (laughs) White is victory. Objects. This is really important because I've noticed there's a lot of folks that will take a lot of these objects and and, and try to write books about them. Uh, The first Persian Gulf War. Uh, I was just amazed at how many people wrote books in, within days. Two days after the Persian Gulf War, there was a book that was published, and, and it was, Is This Armageddon? And they used the book of Daniel, and the guy used the book of Revelation, and um, I, read through the, I read through that book, and the stuff in Revelation, he took so far out of context As a matter of fact, he had one Bible passage from the book of Daniel that he used to describe the Antichrist, and it was actually describing Jesus. So he kind of, yeah, kind of missed the boat on a couple things. So here's some of the problem. We hear the, the word Armageddon, and... It literally means the mountain of Megiddo in Revelation, but it's symbolic for the final battleground between God and his evil forces. So when I was in Israel, I I listened to our tour guide, you know, it was a Bible study thing. It was taken for, some of the kids there took it for credit for college. And so I I knew our guy and and we talked every day about this stuff, so I knew what he was teaching everybody. I'd kind of mosey over to other groups and I got this one group and we're, at, we're in the, the Valley of Armageddon and, and the guy says, I want you all to look. And he said, there will be one million soldiers in this valley. To get a million soldiers in that valley, they'd need to stand close to each other with their friends on their shoulders. You never would get a million people in here. And he said, uh, there will be no electricity. There will be no fuel. That's why there's gonna be horses and chariots. Okay. Then what's gonna happen is a nuclear missile is going to be fired into the middle of the battleground. Okay. I wanted to ask a question, but felt I didn't have permission. What would your question be? Fire. How are you launch in a nuclear missile? Do you have a catapult? Because there's obviously no fuel. You know, are you are you do you have this charging chariot? Well, obviously. Yeah. So when we when we when we take figurative things and make them literal things, we have some challenges on hand. So we'll talk a little bit about, about that as well. Is that all right? Um, and then maybe a couple other things uh, to point out. Seas um, that the, the, you, you'll read a lot about seas, and that talks about um, evil human government. Um, the wine press represents God's judgment in hell. He's trampling out the where the. Grapes of wrath are stored. That's about judgment. So if you want to hang on to that, feel free. We can can kind of look through that a little bit as we go. Uh, Just by way of introduction again, the character of the book is called apocalyptic literature. There's other portions of the Bible that are written as apocalyptic. Portions of Ezekiel. So if you... (laughs) if you remember Ezekiel talked about that like spinning orb yeah. and uh, Hal Lindsey wrote a book, Chariots of the Gods and was saying back in 1960 something that uh, Ezekiel was defining UFOs uh, so the Chariots of the Gods other, other aliens came here um, see what happens when you take apocalyptic literature and try to meet it out literally um, I've been called a jackass many times and I knew that they weren't considering me to be a donkey. So I understood the figurative language. We need to understand the figurative language. Uh, Book of Daniel, Ezekiel. But Revelation is apocalyptic. The thing to understand is this. The people in the time period understood it. They got the message. We struggle a little bit with it because maybe we've lost the idea of reading apocalyptic literature. How many of you have ever read Alice in Wonderland? Did you? How many of you enjoyed it? Did you? It's like the creepiest book ever written, right? This girl's doing mushrooms and stuff, and it's like, I don't know about that. Then there's a Mad Hatter and a Cheshire Cat, and there's all these things. Did you know that was written? In its time, as a, yes, it was satire about the king and the court, and when people read it in the day, it wasn't really read as a children's little fairy tale or whatever, it was written to poke fun at at the, the elegant of the day, and so when people read it, they went, oh, we know who the Queen of Hearts is, we know exactly what this is about, where we look at it today and say, it's just a fun book to read. Well, for some of you. For some of us, it was just a creepy book to read. But How many of you enjoyed it? Raise your hand. I can get you some counseling. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yes? Oh, I thought it was
0: Oh, you enjoyed it? I enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining.
1: It was entertaining? Yeah. Okay. That's probably why I need counseling. That's why I yes, that's that's why. I read it, and and because I read it, I need counseling. So, the purpose of the book is this: to let folks know Jesus is coming. It was written probably uh, somewhere like ninety one hundred A.D. Written by um, uh, John the Apostle. So he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote John one, John two, John three. Those epistles he writes also the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit moves him to write this because the Lord wants us to know in the midst of, I mean, think about the time period, the persecution going on in in the lives of Christians. Very, I mean, we come to church and we might have people laugh at us because we believe in Jesus. These people were put to death because they believed in Jesus. So this is to give strength to those who are waiting. So I see a two-fold thing here. Number one, to tell you that Jesus is coming and heaven's real, man. But number two, this sin-stained world is difficult and it's only gonna get more difficult. But stay strong in the faith. It's gonna be over, but heaven is gonna be eternal. How many of you believe the end is near? (laughs) And that's okay. We probably should. Paul thought the end is near too. He wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, "Um, I would not have you be uninformed concerning those who are now asleep that you would not sorrow as people who have no hope. Then he goes on to talk about how Jesus is going to come, right? And the dead in Christ will be raised first. And then we who are still alive... Do you get it? Yeah. Luther thought it was in his time because there was such a… There were plagues and there was uprising among the peasants and the church was so far off base and he really thought that if he had an opportunity to show the church where they were missing the mark, the church would say, oh, Luther, thanks for letting us know. We're going to fix it all and we'll be one big happy family, but it doesn't work like that. Instead. He's considered the outlaw and he should be put to death. So he's thinking it can't be much longer. 500 years later, we take a look around and we see that cities are burning and that rogue nations have nuclear weapons, that people in governmental positions are now being judged, by their faith. And it used to be, oh boy, that one's a Christian. Now it's, oh boy, that one's a Christian. So it's easy for us to say, is it coming close? Well, I'll experience the end one way or another, right? (laughs) So the end comes either when my end has brought fulfillment or when the end of this age is brought to fulfillment. So this is, this is designed to strengthen us as, as Christians. The message is there's, there's going to be suffering on earth. Did, did Jesus not tell us this? Right? If this is how they're treating me, he says. Yeah. Jesus was a straight shooter. I mean, he warned people. It's not going to be easy to follow me. I mean, look what they did to me. If this is how they treat the shepherd, what are they going to do to the sheep? And, and so this book is saying it, it's not going to be easy for you. But you know what? Jesus is reigning in heaven. I, I, one of my favorite Luther quotes is this. Even the devil is the Lord's devil. Let it sink in. Even the devil is the Lord's devil. In other words, what? God created God has got authority over everything. We dare not take a look at the devil being the bad God and the Lord being the good God and that they're on equal level and it's, it's not. I mean, Satan was an angel, right? And he still is. It's just that he's not a very good one anymore. He's an evil angel. So if we were to give, if we were to go and rank these guys, right? Triune God is above everything, and and maybe we could pull out Michael the Archangel and Satan the evil angel. They probably would be uh, on the same on the same level. Uh, I we we talked about the structure. I handed that out to you. Um, And then something I I really want to jump into is, uh, and there was a great question brought up, and I want to uh, thank you for bringing it up. What is this millennial thing all about? Because that seems to be the big question that I get every time I talk about Revelation. What does the thousand years mean? Should I be waiting that Jesus is going to, Come back and, and rapture, take all the believers to heaven, and leave the rest on earth. Which a lot of millennialists believe that that's the second chance that you get. That there's a rapture, and then and then I, I would look around and say, oh, everybody in my Bible study is gone. And, uh, maybe I should look into this. And then find out, oh, yeah, Jesus told about oh, that would make me believe. Wouldn't it? Yeah, that might make me believe. Do yes, the Gospels no. gospel, play this out? No. So we need to look at the book of Revelations also in conjunction with the rest of Scripture. Yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, we got the, the the poor guy that's begging, right? And and the rich guy that ignores him all the time. And then the you know the the beggar dies and he's in the bosom of Abraham. Isn't that a cool line? He's in the bosom of Abraham. And then the rich guy dies and he ain't there. He's in a different bosom. And he says, I would love. To be able to go back and tell my brothers, the cool thing about this is, what's the comment? He's already had, your brothers have had, they already, they have the scriptures and they have the prophets. And if someone even comes back from the dead, they won't believe it. Someone did come back from the dead. It was Jesus. And they still don't believe it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, Jesus came back from the dead. So he's, he's even doing prophesying there. Yeah. And, and a, a lot of my millennial friends um, bring up Thessalon the, the, the section I just quoted, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Um, the dead in Christ shall be raised first. And then we who are still alive will meet them together in the clouds, and, and there are some people that are trying to say that's talking about the, uh, the rapture, but it's talking about the final judgment. So there's, there's, even among my millennial friends, they argue over pre and post. I had a friend who did his doctorate at Trinity, and, and it's, <laughs> he said I'd sit in theology classes, and, and one group would argue about pre-millennialists, and then the other would argue post-millennialism, and he said, I sat in this class and I wasn't saying anything, and the professor said, well, tell us, what do you believe? And he said, millennialist," and then they all jumped on him. So what's the difference between these three? There's post and pre. So pre would mean something that happens before the thousand years. Post means something that happens after the thousand years. So. Premillennial and postmillennial. So, premillennial is this Jesus returns and he reigns on earth for a thousand years and then he judges everything. Let's, let's go back and look at the scriptures. Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. It kind of blows the premillennial out of the water, doesn't it? Because if my kingdom were of this world, My father would send down just a whole bunch of angels and whoop up on you. But it's not. The post-millennials will say that the church reigns and rules for a thousand years, then Jesus comes back. Lutherans are amillennial. So are Catholics. Amillennial means... We're neither pre or post. We're not into the rapture thing because scripture doesn't spell it out. You do get the rapture if you try to read the book of Revelation in this linear fashion. Remember the different cycles? What we say is we are amillennial, meaning that we understand 1,000 has a significance. It means the entire period of time from Acts chapter one, when Jesus ascends, until Roman or until Revelation, when Jesus comes back, we are living in the thousand years. Even though Jesus has, even though Jesus died two thousand years ago and ascended two thousand years ago, we're in the thousand years. Do you know what kind of panic there was in the year nine nine nine? What was the thought? This
0: is it. That's the end of the thousand years.
1: He be coming back. Do you remember Y2K? Yeah. <laughs> remember that when pacemakers were going to stop? Remember your bank account was going to be bled dry? Planes were going to fall from the sky? Satellites were going to going to take out your backyard patio? You remember that? And then then I remember people saying, and that's when Jesus is coming back. God well, I mean. I don't, and, and the book of Revelation is not designed to help us know when Jesus is coming back. It's written that we would hold the faith until he comes back. Confident that he will come back. It's not my job to figure out when. As a matter of fact, I'll open a whole different can of worms for you. And always bad to do that three minutes before the class ends here's the can of worms no one knows the day or time not the angels not not even the son but only the father oh what's the greatest seventh grade confirmation question ever asked if Jesus is God wouldn't he know all things which is great because Carl Raiske came to me and said, I got the question yesterday and it's only the second week of school.
0: <laughs>
1: great. Jesus chooses not to know. He's in his earthly ministry. Seriously, if you and I were one of the disciples, wouldn't we have asked? Earth. Jesus, you keep talking about your kingdom. All right. I got my phone. I want to I wanna slot you in. What day are you coming? And is it a.m. or p.m.? Yes. So one other thing we
0: can think of is a thousand. Would that be a, cycl- a cyclical number? In other words, it's a thousand is God's term of completeness, correct? Yep. Yeah. So, so a thousand be a cycle?
1: Yeah. So what we could do is when we say we have this variety of cycles... Each one of those cycles covers the entire period from the ascension of Christ to the return of Christ. Right? Okay. Good question. All good questions. You guys are going to the advanced class. All right. Any, any concluding questions? It's a lot to absorb, isn't it? Anybody have a headache yet? No. Just
0: yeah, it's,
1: uh, now that we got it all down, if anybody ever would want to buy a book like this, Concordia Publishing House. And, and he, God bless him. Um, he's now a resident in heaven. But Dr. Brighton wrote this in such a way that a, a, an advanced theologian would get something out of it. A parish pastor could get something out of it. A layperson who loves the Bible would easily... Get something out of it. Because every time he talks about something, he divides it into into areas. And so, for instance, he writes his own translation. And then he has textual notes, which is all Greek and stuff. Um, And so you might just say, I think I'll just pass over that. But then he's got this section about commentary, which is just like out of this world. Just amazing. So... You can find a lot of his stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can watch him rather than than he was. He was one tough instructor. I remember my our first class. um, All right, that's the end of class number one for you people who are listening. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org.
0: Have a good day and God bless.